Hello, you're listening to the Beyond Words podcast with me, Michelle Adams. This is the place where we sit down with some of your favorite authors and industry insiders and talk about all the things related to books. These are the conversations that go beyond the words they write. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Beyond Words podcast, the podcast for book lovers who are not ready for the story to end once the last page has been turned. This week, it is an absolute pleasure to bring you a wonderful episode with a very experienced author who today is celebrating the release of his fifth book. He is a director by day in the theatre and a writer in every other hour of his spare time, I think, if he's managed to already write five books. His books are so exciting, very tense, wonderful thrillers, and it was an absolute joy to read his latest and to have this conversation with him a few weeks ago. I've held back this episode for a couple of days this week because Darren is actually celebrating his publication day today for his latest novel, The Players, which is the subject of this conversation. And it is just such a wonderful novel, and I wish it so much success. He is celebrating all day over on his social media channels. Um, I will link for you all the information about his social media channels. And at lunchtime, you will be able to head over to his, I think, Facebook page. I'll confirm that and put it in the comments, um, where he will be doing a live reading from this latest release. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I enjoyed recording it with Darren O'Sullivan, the author of The Players, which is out today. It's out May 13th, so we've got about four weeks now until it's out I'm starting to get I'm, I'm at that place now where um HQ did a little tweet saying one month to go and I've been feeling a bit sick since <laughs> oh god <laughs> it's uh it's quite frightening actually I think that when you've got a book coming out and and you're wondering how it's going to do mm. and uh it's a nerve-wracking experience oh, but yeah I mean as nerve-wracking it is it's it's brilliant as well and the early feedback for your book has been yeah really positive. yeah I've been very very lucky actually that people have kind of bought into it because because you know because the concept's a little bit although it's kind of based on a real experience where where I've taken it is you know it is it is far-fetched and I completely get that and as I was writing it I was like I know I'm pushing the boundaries of what what is what could feasibly happen to try and stress yeah. the point of what of what could do you know what I mean to try and stress what could happen yeah. I pushed it as far as I could go and and I did did have that little moment where I thought oh, am I Am I pushing this now too far? Am I trying to make it sing a bit too high? Um, and thankfully, so far, everybody's come back and they've bought into it. And, yeah. you know, we're, we're all very good at suspending our disbelief. But as long as it doesn't go too far. And, yeah, luckily so far, people haven't called it crap, which is nice. Well, I think that's <laughs> one of the nice things about fiction like this is that it does ask you to sort of, it does ask you to put, real life down for a moment and go with this plot yeah and I think that's what people really love at the moment is that it is an escapist thriller like yeah. you can just get lost in this plot and I think that's just wonderful yeah and kind of yeah I want it I want it I mean as I was writing it it felt really consuming whereas with my other stuff I was always able to keep 
a, a kind of distance from it and be able to see it from the outside with this yeah. I, I got I just got stuck right in the middle of everything that was happening especially like the um the town um the city center moment where they've got the vigil and when, when I was kind of yeah. putting that bit I was I was in it and I could hear the drums in my and it yeah so it's completely massive mm-hmm. and I kind of hoped that, that if it was doing that for me it might do it for might do it for someone else picking up the book because there's nothing better is there than when you read a book and you just completely lose all sense of everything because totally. you're so totally. caught up in that world so I'm yeah. hopeful this is this is doing that hopefully well that was my experience you used the word there as immersive and I think that really sums it up because I struggle at the moment to sort of get lost within within fiction because you know we've all had a lot going on mm, and mm. time has been stretched but I I couldn't put it down like I just I just wanted to keep reading it and especially you mentioned there about the vigil once you get sort of like 30 to 40 percent in the plot and there have been I don't want to give any of the plot away but it's like a few of the a few of the situations have happened Mm. you're just like I need to know Mm. like like what is going on here how is this gonna how is this gonna play out so let's just go back a little bit because you you you've mentioned you've mentioned already that the inspiration from this story you talk about it in the acknowledgements and you mentioned it here that it comes from a real experience and I knew of that experience because you'd shared it before I read the book but I was telling my family about that experience that you had whilst I was reading and they just they just looked at me with wide eyes and open (laughs) mouths like what (laughs) like there's no way so just share with us a little bit about how you came to write this novel in the first place yeah it was it's mental even thinking back I think god did that really happen but it was about two years ago um and and I was going to go get a Chinese just a Thursday evening gonna pick up a cheeky Chinese and have a takeaway with the family and um rang put my order in went to the Chinese restaurant the one that you know we still go to that restaurant although it's like feels slightly different now when I'm there um <laughs> and all the Chinese went to go pick it up and you know spoke, spoke to the woman in the Chinese and said you know I'm here for my order and she went round the back to box up my order and there was me and just one other man in in the waiting area and he was sat down reading a newspaper and I was stood stood by the counter and then this third man walked in with his hood up and his hands stuffed into his pockets and he was kind of shifting like on this and I thought oh no this you know this this already feels a bit a bit odd and I grew up in quite a rough part of London so I was quite used to kind of moments where you go oh hang on a minute my little alarm bell <laughs> I'm in the wrong place I'm at the, the wrong, wrong time. place at the wrong time so you're <laughs> locking the doorway doing a shifting thing staring like and then and then I kind of looked at him and he was staring back and then he looked at the other guy who was sat reading the newspaper and caught his attention and he just kept staring at us looking from one to the other and this bloke were like what the hell is going on and then he said only one of you is getting out of here alive <laughs> I mean, there's not a lot to say to that. <laughs> Madness. I mean, what an experience. Yeah, it was crazy. So, what happened next? Uh, so, we kind of went, what? <laughs> and he said, one, one of you's dying here tonight. Still shifting, still with his hands in his pockets. And I was thinking, what's he got in his pockets? Has he got something he's going to pull out some, something to try and hurt us? So, I kind of backed away to the counter put my hand over the top and, and there was like a you know like a normal landline telephone with a cable yeah and I yeah. put my hand on that so I thought if he comes at me I'm just going to throw this thing at his head as hard as I possibly can and try and get out so my flight mechanism was like there I was I just wanted to get out but he's blocking this doorway so I had my hand on his telephone ready to 
ready to you know do whatever it needed to be done to try and get out and then he repeated it again one of you is going to die in here tonight and i thought oh god it's all going to kick off and thankfully the, the the other chap with the newspaper was was just a bit more brazen than i was and he stood up quite a big chap as well which helps because i'm quite slight so he's this guy was quite big and he stood up and he said what if that one's you mate and then the, the shifty guy with the eyes kind of laughed a little bit, which was terrifying, and then backed out of the takeaway, shut the door behind him, stared at us through the glass for a little bit more, and then walked off around the corner. And we were like, what the, what's just Oh happened? my God. I mean, that's an experience for anybody to go through. Madness. And so what, what, what was just happened? And we had a little joke about it and, and and then he said, oh, I'm going to I'm going to ring the police and ring this in. And I gave him, you know, my details and said, well, if you need me, shout me. But I, like, I didn't know what else to do. He was gone. No, no one was hurt. It was just a really weird moment. But he rang it through. And then I got my takeaway and I went home. <laughs> and and did you hear about like how that, no, that situation played out? They found him nothing, or no, nothing at all. And, and, you know, thinking back, I think he was just on something um and looking to scare people because as soon as he was challenged he backed down yeah so, so in, in the moment I felt there was a real definite threat and danger Res- yeah. retrospectively now I can kind of go actually there probably wasn't but it was still very very surreal so I went home had my Chinese didn't really think about it kind of you know shook it off lovely Chinese best Chinese I've ever had actually <laughs> and, then, and then as I was laying in bed that night I was like god what if what if it all kicked off what what if I had to respond what if he wasn't yeah you know messing around or or under the influence of something what what if he was genuine with that that one yeah. of us had to die what the hell would I have done and I spent most of that night just pondering that question the hell would I have done what would I have done and there's part of me yeah. that goes Oh, you know, I would have been this big, strong, don't like kicks everybody's ass. But actually, realistically, yeah. I would have been absolutely crippled by it. Terrified yeah. by it. Yeah. So you go, so at, at what point would you at what point would you step take that step and, and act? And what would need to happen for you to for you to do something in, in a situation as as kind of detailed as that? And so I kind of thought about it that night and then, you know, got some sleep, came, came up with my conclusions, got some sleep. And then, you know, a few days later, I was like, I think I need to ask this question in my next book. I think this is I think this is the question that's going to be going to get me going. And so the play started with that question is that if you had to kill or be killed, what would you do? And that's ended up I being mean, on the cover, I think that they put it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as an, as an experience for anybody, it's terrifying. But as a writer, when you go through something like that, as, as a thriller writer, like it, it's almost impossible not to feel in some way inspired to create something from mm. that kind of question in your mind. Mm. So how did you how did you then go from going through that yourself, being there in the Chinese takeaway, having this experience happen mm. to then creating the first characters in the book how did that inform the characterization who was going to go through this story yeah I started with um sort of very very first thing I wrote in this book I called it the fight book because I had no idea of characters or titles I just knew that there was going to be this moment and I started by writing the Chinese takeaway um but but using it as the the woman who worked there and one other customer and so I started with 
the, the first kind of attempt at something was an incredibly graphic battle. All of those things that I played out in my head when I was trying to sleep that first night, um, and my imagination ran wild and it was horrible. And it was, it was a horrible evening, just kind of thinking about all the things that could happen. When I started yeah. by putting that down on paper, got it out and it was, you know, it was too graphic to go in a book. It was, it was brutal. But then I thought, right, now that I know that this is as far, this is how far it would go, I need to now work out who would, who would do that and why they would do that. Um, and, then that and then through that process, I kind of worked out that the, the responses would either be you would, you would fight, you would defend or you would cave. Those are the things you would either you would either be on the front foot, you would try and actively defend yourself, or you just fall to bits. And I thought everybody would fit into one of those three brackets. So when it came to the players, um, it was really easy to find characters because they could literally be anybody and everybody. Anybody. Anybody could be anybody could be a player, and they would fit into one of those three categories for how they do how they would respond. And then from from when I was creating the, the kind of the players in the game, it was very much about what what would be their motivation? So I've got a six-year-old, as you know, I've got a six-year-old boy. So when I was laying there at night, trying to work out what I would do, once I connected with the idea that I really wanted to see my boy grow up, I knew what I would do, would have done if, if it came yeah. to um, So all of the characters then have their own motivations for what they would do based on, based on who they are. So they became the kind of pool. I was like, right, who are these people that are going to end up being players and why? And then the, the, obviously the most important question then becomes who is the who is the person, who is the host and why are they doing what they're doing? And I, I used to work, I'm not going to say, in fact, I can't really answer this question because it would give away too much, but um, the host is connected to an old job that I once did. Um, and I once worked with an individual who um, had very similar circumstances to the host and quite a similar viewpoint um, of the world as the host. So the host kind of... Right. Has, the host has this thing where it's like the, the host believes there's no such thing as a good person, only a person who has not had the opportunity to do anything wrong. So everybody's bad. Just It's just waiting for the right moment, the right opportunity to be bad. There's no such thing as good. And yeah. he really believes that philosophy. Yeah. And I worked with someone who whose viewpoint of the world was a bit like that through their own circumstances. So I kind of pulled the two together and thought, this is it. This is, this is why this person is doing it. Was because they believe that this is the world, but the world doesn't believe it with them, and so they need to prove to the world that there is no such thing as good, and to sort of prove to themselves that they're right. To prove to, to validate yeah. their existence, because yeah. without it, they, they, they have no validation for their existence at yeah. all. So the host needs the world to see it, so that then it's almost like by if 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 the host can get the world seeing that and seeing what they see, he then has. Uh, he then has a reason to exist whereas until that moment he hasn't he has no reason to exist at all so that was kind of the plays and the host and then um karen holt is a character from one of my old books so she, oh wow i didn't know yeah, that yeah yeah no not many people do she exists in my second book close your eyes she pops up in the back third and helps the lead in that story um, and she's DCI Holt um, in that story. And, and then she helps the character. And then through helping the character is busted down to a DI because she doesn't follow the rules properly. And then the players is then obviously it's DI Karen Holt. So she's a couple of years after what she does. Oh, that's incredible. So it's kind of a little link in. And I love Karen Holt. I, I love her to bits. Like, yeah. 
And I love how writers do that. I love how writers have their own world in their head and their characters and parts of that world can infiltrate different stories. I think that's brilliant. Oh, I've done it. All of my books. All of my books has characters from other stories existing in there. All of them. That's fantastic. Yeah, little, little tiny Easter eggs that even I forget sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the one thing I kept thinking about whilst, whilst, you, we, while, I, while I was reading this is something called the Milgram experiments. Have you ever heard about yeah, those? Yeah, was that the Milgram? Was that um, the Milgram? Yeah, I do know that. Is that connected to the Stanford Prison Experiment? And No, but it's a similar sort similar of thing. thing it's, yeah. it's at Yale and it's basically, they took, they took a sort of they took one person who was in part of the experiment as a completely naive, didn't know what was happening, and another person who was a confederate and acted as if they didn't know, but really they were part of the experimental team. And the person who was unaware was a teacher, and the person who was in on it was designated as a learner. And then they put them in separate rooms, and the teacher had a box with the voltages yes, on. Yes, I remember that, and they had to keep it They had to keep delivering shocks, going progressively incremental... Um, increase in voltage and so many of them actually went through and delivered the shocks that would be fatal in in a real setting and that's what I kept thinking of when I was reading your book is it's it's about exploring how far will somebody go Mm -hmm. or or what will they be prepared to do beyond what they would agree to given a normal situation Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, yeah, no, the Milgram experiment, the Stanford Prison Experiment, really early on in the book, when I um, when I was researching the book, I did watch this fascinating documentary, the Milgram thing, where, yeah, and they would say, you know, you get to 800 volts and the, the person on the other end would stop making noise. And they were yeah, like, yeah. are they okay? Are they dead? But they kept shocking, didn't they? They kept going. Yeah, yeah. Madness. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a lot of the people who were interviewed, they were debriefed afterwards, and they, they sort of said, I, I can't believe what I've just done but there was there was at least one person who's who said afterwards it changed my life but that that sort of that whole experiment just it kept coming to mind mm. whilst I was reading your book and I wondered if there were things like that that you'd read about mm. or that oh, you'd yeah. experienced and that, that had informed it yeah absolutely and the Stanford prison experiment really influenced um this as well because because in that one it, they had 12 guards and 12 prisoners and they all knew that it was a fake prison and yet yeah. through depersonification, through abuse of power, um, through the sunglasses, which made them anonymous, the prison guards started yeah. to, to really, truly believe at what they were doing to the point where they yeah. were doing horrific things, even though they all... Yeah, they really they degraded them. Really yeah. degraded them, really yeah. degraded them. And it, was that, and it was that kind of like, it was like a holy trinity of reasons, wasn't it? It was a yeah deep personification because they were given numbers instead of their names it was the fact that they yeah. had power and they were anonymous yeah. because of their dark sunglasses and that and that kind of yeah. triangle together then altered altered how they would treat another human being and so yeah that a lot a lot of that I tried to get a lot of that kind of understanding and reading that I did before into the place to try and make it obviously the place doesn't depersonify, but um the the victims but the host is deep persona because of the dark helmet that, yeah. that the host always has on. So the dark helmet was taken from the dark sunglasses that were from the Zimbardo yeah, experiment. Yeah, yeah, that's that's amazing. And um, the other thing that you've already touched upon, really, about talking about your son, is about how 
people in this story would need a real personal motivation yeah. to be able to to do the things that they do. And I wondered as a writer whether that was something that you often put in your own stories, whether you look to your own personal relationships, your own experiences and bring that into fiction. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I think I think everything yeah. everything that happens in in my fiction um are things that I've yeah, experienced or or questions that I've asked myself that I've had to work out the answers to. Um, yeah. So yeah, I tried to put as much in it as I can. And before I started writing the plays, I actually put a little um, poll on Twitter. So this is going back about eighteen months ago, asking the question. Just and I had about 20, 25 people kind of come back and, and answer what they would do if they were in that situation. I didn't give it any context. I just put the question on Twitter, um, and then I followed up and spoke to people and tried to understand why they'd given the answer that they'd given. And that became quite fascinating and quite revealing. So, so some of the characters, um, for example, Jack Weston, um, and yeah. what he does is based on a conversation that I had with someone who answered the Twitter poll. And it's like, oh, that's. And the question was, the question was, would you, would you kill? That was the question. Yeah, would you, yeah. would you kill or let yourself be killed if you were? That, that yeah. was the question. And then most people came back and said that they would kill. But that, but those who didn't, and I, and I, you know, asked, wondered their motivations, and I found out that the people that said they were killed, they wouldn't do it for themselves. Nobody, nobody would do it because they wanted to live. They would do, or they justified it at least, and the same way I justified it by saying, "Oh, yeah. I would do it because I've got a six-year-old son. I really want to see become an adult." And so everyone yeah. had their their kind of yeah their justifications for what they would do or on the other side why they wouldn't do it they put down their reasons and that made me think if I didn't have my son and I was placed in that situation my answer would be different yeah yeah but you would be different too but then exactly but then I was a completely different human being back then as well so it's yeah yeah, it's fascinating it's fascinating and I tried to with each each of the each of the players I tried to make them have their own very specific motivations for what they did and I tried to make it quite clear that as they're doing it they, they're kind of, they're validating it to themselves whichever way they went they're validating it because of what what is in their world and what their world is about so yeah. actually the, ho- the host sets out to prove that there's no good but everybody who's a player is doing it for selfless reasons so which is kind of the def- like the definition of what good is isn't it so yeah yeah and I mean we can't talk about the individual situations in the book because we're going to give things away but there were a couple there were a couple of situations that the host created um one in particular which I'll tell you about when we stop recording uh, that just made me I don't know you you want as a reader sometimes to be made to feel uncomfortable you want to be pushed to think about things that that you wouldn't want to experience in real life. And there was one particular situation where I just, I was reading it and I was like, no, no, don't do this, no. And then it happened, no. (laughs) And so it's, I think it worked really well that way. It was a real journey, I think, that you took the reader on. Yeah, good, good. That's what I was hopeful for. When when I started writing it, I didn't know how many games there was going to be. uh, I had I had an idea for a couple, but then as I got as I got into it, I realised that there was there was such an there was such an opportunity to go on, on a journey that although the games are very similar, the outcomes and the emotions around them could be so different. So to, to yeah. each game, I'm trying to tap into a different part of 
of, of kind of what a, a reader might experience and might feel for it. I had loads of fun writing this book. The most fun I've ever had writing has been this book. It's a lot of fun reading, actually. Is so I, I think that really comes across. Oh, good. Oh, brilliant. Thank you. Well, let's go back right to the start then. I mean, you say you had a lot of fun re- writing this book, mm. but when did you start writing? Oh, um, I don't know. If I open my laptop, I'd be able to tell you because I've got the first document. <laughs> I think it was... Um, I think it was like mid 2019. Yeah, so possibly by the time publication day comes, possibly about two years was when I first started to put down ideas and say, I think think this is the way that I want to go with this book. Yeah. And your first book, where does the story go all the way back to? When when did when did Darren first decide (laughs) to write a book? Yeah, my my first book um, was actually a play that I wrote in 2011. Um, called Pact because I wrote for the stage for a little while not not commissioned just did it for my friends so that we could have acting jobs um, yeah and and I wrote this play called Pact and it was it was awful it was shocking and when we read it everyone went oh this is a bit like nobody had a nice word to say about it at all and I didn't either it was you know and that's not being self-critical it was it was crap and so I find, you know, we all, we all go through these journeys and I put packed in a drawer and I started to write a new play that I never finished in the end because about five months later, I kept kept finding myself thinking about packed and thinking about this play and thinking about the characters and I thought, I've got to, I've got to try. So I messaged a friend who was one of the actors who read the play and concluded it was rubbish. I messaged and said, do you think I should try and turn this into a book? And I was expecting them to go, no way, because it was enough. Yeah. I said, oh, do you know what? That might work better. Why don't why don't you try that? And then I started to to write Our Little Secret. But it took me years, like five years to write that book, I think it was. And had you, I mean, you say there that you were writing plays. Mm. Had you always entertained the idea of becoming an author? No. Or was this something totally new to you? Yeah, it was. It was I've, always, I've, I've always been writing, although I didn't realise that I've always been writing until about 18 months ago when I kind of went, oh, actually, I've been doing this forever, but I've never yeah. put it down. It was always I was killing time. I was on a train journey. I had nothing to do. It wasn't that I was writing. It was there was a million different things, reasons why yeah. I was doing it. Um, but no, I didn't think I was going to write fiction novel no and then when when I kind of started I didn't think I'd get past 5,000 words so I just thought right I'm going to run out of things to say very quickly and then got to 10 and thought well uh, you know I'm not going to get to 15 because I'm almost out and it just kept going and I kept finding finding and I discovered that whilst I was turning into a book that you could I could get out of my own way and just be in this moment and and I fell in love with that so yeah once once I finished and when I finished the first book I thought that was it. I thought, right, cool. I've done a book. Brilliant. That's I'll go back to doing other stuff and teaching and stuff again because I've written a book. And yeah. then, um, yeah, I was very lucky that they asked me to write another one. So I got credit. So there's a there's a step in there somewhere that we that we haven't talked about because there's one thing to finish writing a book and mm. then there's another thing to get a book published. There's a there's a huge amount of things that have to happen yeah. in between there. So at what point did you finish the book and say, hang on a minute? Maybe this could go somewhere. What did you do after that? So I I finished the book and then um, discovered a book that I read called The Unlikely Pilgrimage of Harold Fry by um, Rachel Joyce. And I love that book. Such a lovely story. And I discovered that when I started researching her, that she went to something called the Faber Academy. And she thanked all of her publishing journey for being on this Faber Faber Academy. So So then I applied 
to right. go on the Faber Academy. And it just sort of said, I've got this book. I don't know what I'm doing now. Um, and I don't even know if it's any good because I hadn't shared it with anybody. Like, I don't, I don't know if this is something that, you know, I love it and I'd love to pursue writing books, but I don't actually know what that means. So, yeah. so I went onto the course and, and spent six months trying to learn a little bit about it. And I'm, you know, I'm, although I can kind of chat quite easily to you in this kind of context, um, I'm just, I'm not very confident of pushing myself and understanding stuff. I find it, I found it so intimidating. I still do a little bit. I'm really naive to the industry. Um, and as much as I try to not be, I still go, oh, I don't know what any of this means. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I think, I think a lot of writers still feel like that. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. But I think it's, it's so interesting to talk to you about that journey because it's so different to so many other writers. So many people start writing their first book with that sort of I, I want to be a writer I've got to find an agent I've got to find a publisher and even if they they're not sure whether they're going to manage to write their first book that that's that's the aim mm. the, the long-term aim is to find that agent is to find that publisher and I think it's so refreshing actually to hear you say you know what I just wanted to write and then I wrote it and then I th- thought maybe I'd go to Favour Academy you know it was so organic what you did and that's that just sounds like you were meant to do it all along yeah I hope so I mean I hope so because I wouldn't do this for the rest of my life but but when, when I finished that first book I knew it wasn't very good um I knew it was weak in places but I but I also knew that I really liked it and I wanted to get a bit better at it so that, that was my reason to go to Favour was like I've got this thing I kind of think it could be better, but I don't know how to do that. So I went back to school and that's, you know, and I yeah. used every moment that I could in that course to learn and grow. I got, I had a reputation on that course. So every time we had guest speakers and guest authors, uh, and my hand would be up every three seconds asking questions and then scribbling <laughs> down the answers. And I've got, got a notepad upstairs in my desk, which is just full from that Faber Academy where I just scribbled down every morsel of information given to me it became a bit of a running joke they're like oh don't That's worry about brilliant. questions because Darren's here do you know eager eager 10 year old child in class I don't know the answer can help me do you know what I mean um but didn't that just feel great to think that you were somewhere where you were so enthusiastic about something oh, and that you just loved it. it so much yeah I think I think you know that's if you're gonna do something go at it like just go at it uh, yeah. thousand miles an hour and if you look silly doing it who cares and if you embarrass yourself who cares and if people judge you for it who cares just go at it yeah. and enjoy it and get what you want from it you know I didn't I didn't upset yeah. anybody else's feelings when I was on that course I didn't offend anybody yeah. I might have looked like a bit of an idiot at times but I don't care I, I was there for for what I wanted to be there for so yeah. and that's how we learn I think yeah yeah throw yourself in like like a child yeah. would you know well, you know, yeah. we, we've got little ones when they're learning. They're not apologetic in their learning. Throw themselves into it head first. Yeah. And they don't get embarrassed when they fall over once and then don't try to walk again. No, you know, you yeah, have to just, exactly. You just exactly. have to keep going. Yeah, and we lose that a little bit as adults. So I thought if I was going to go, because that course was really, you know, the Fable Academy is super expensive. So, you know, I had to sell everything I owned in order to go on the course. <laughs> have no money. I'm jumping trains and hoping I wouldn't get caught to get down to London. <laughs> um, honestly, it's like everything went. It's like I can sell my iPad, I'll sell my shoes if I need to. So I thought if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna, you know, commit this much to it, I really need to just make sure I see this through all the way through. And then at the end of the course, I, I, I came away with a better understanding of how to write fiction and a better understanding of how to try and talk to the industry a little bit. And then yeah. from there, I started to pitch and have conversations, and then found HQ. 
And do you think that throughout this journey, either as a reader or a writer, that there have been particular authors or or books that have informed the kind of writer you wanted to be or that you are? I mean, I didn't I didn't set out to write a thriller. So I, I, I Outlook Secret was originally called Blood Red Stars. Um, well, it wasn't originally called it. That's the first title I'm willing to share because the rest were that bad. Um, and <laughs> we've all got those titles. Oh, in the we've background. all got those titles. Got draw all of them, haven't we? Um, and it wasn't yeah. it wasn't a thriller. It was kind of uplifting, I guess. But it just didn't work. It didn't it didn't stitch together. And then when I started to yeah. pitch it. The feedback I got from the agents that I spoke with was I read the first couple of chapters expecting a thriller and then it wasn't a thriller and that for that reason I have to pass so then I had the yeah. choice of do I stick by my guns with this story or do I chop down turn it into a thriller and and try and pitch it as a thriller if that's where people think this book should fit then I should probably do yeah. what I'm told because I don't know any other way so yeah. um so I cut 70,000 words of the book that I'd managed to craft. That's so painful. Oh, it's painful. So yeah, I, I ended up with like 20,000 words left of this thing and then and then rebuilt it. And But, you know, first thing I needed to do was read more thrillers. So I started reading Rene Knight and B.A. Paris and Louise Jensen and Terry Hayes. I just, yeah, read whatever I could get that was in the thriller section to kind of understand what the genre was and what I needed to try and do to make to make yeah. it work. And then I fell in love with that process. And when I finished writing what is now Our Look Secret, I realised at that point, weirdly, I realised at that point that I was always supposed to write thrillers. Yeah. I was always supposed to do it. Even even going back to secondary school, when we, when we were given tasks, like creative writing tasks, I always leant towards thriller or suspense, always. Um, but I didn't realise this when I first started to write. I just kind of, I just yeah. had to tell the story, I guess, and get the story out and onto the page. Um, but it was, but all the way through, it was about that process. It wasn't about, this is where it needs to sit. This is where I want it to be. This is, you know, these are the shops I'd love to see it in. It was just about being in, in the moment and writing the story. And I've tried to hang on to that as much as I possibly can since. That's incredible. And it is a really special feeling, I think, to just be completely lost in the book that you're writing and to be enjoying the experience rather than worrying about what's it going to sell how many copies is it going to sell yeah um like as a writer I try not to think too much about reviews I never share reviews because I don't read them mm. um I try not to check Amazon too much unless mm. it's publication day yeah. although you've had a prize promotion yeah, but, yeah. um <laughs> it's really nice just to have that focus on the creative process and and, and creating the work yeah, and, and and I've stumbled away from it a little bit. I think with with the lockdown and things, and become obsessed with, not obsessed, but more focused on, um, you know, what where is it going to sell, and how many copies can we do, and all of that kind of stuff. And and it took, I you know, had to have a real talk of myself. And it was only about three four weeks ago I had to sit down and say, oh, hang on a minute, Darren, what are, do you write books for those reasons, or do you write books yeah, because yeah. you love to write books? And I had to really kind of stop myself being a bit of an idiot actually and focus on the wrong things and then and yeah fall in love with the words again and fall in love with the I, I think we all do that at some oh, point we, do. we yeah, all get we completely waffles. lost in like yeah. how many have we sold you know yeah how can I promote this where can I where can it sell yeah yeah oh yeah 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 absolutely and when and when like you know I don't I do the social media thing but um it doesn't come naturally I have to work really really hard at it in order to make it look like it comes naturally it's a weird thing isn't it yeah. it's such a such a strange thing but, I can yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? It's so difficult. Mm. But I focus a bit too much on that and rather than 
oh, just sit in front of your laptop, put on your favourite piece of music that you're writing this book to, let yourself get lost in some words, have a cup of tea. It's like, yeah, that's the best thing in the world, I think. I mean, one of the things I wanted to ask you is because I know that you have a history in theatre and what you just said links to this because for me, reading the players, it felt like a cinematic experience. And I think that really, I mean, I didn't know exactly what you did in the theatre, but you just told me that you direct. And Mm. I think that you can see that now. I can see that in the book that you, you know, you're directing these characters around. And one of my questions to you was going to be, you know, is that how you write? Do you visualise a cinematic scene? And and obviously now as a, as a director in the theatre, surely that must be what you're doing. It's kind of, yeah, I get, I get snapshots, I guess. I get, well, like when I'm directing for the stage, I get like, oh, this is, this is the scene. And the first thing I do before I put actors on the stage is I work out what, how it's going to look. So what that picture is going to look like for that moment. And then I slot the actors into it and then we play a little bit. And I guess it's very, very similar. You know, I just get a series of like photos in my head of yeah. like moments and I go, oh, that'd be a brilliant moment. And I make a note of the photograph that I've seen and then yeah. I work out who's in, you know, I link all the other photographs together and work out who's in these photographs and yeah. how they're going to bounce off of each other when they're working. I think that's really hard to explain. I think it's probably the best I'm going to be able to do. <laughs> but yeah, I just <laughs> I mean, snapshots. It, that's, that's how, that's when, when you're reading it, I kept getting drawn to sort of like a cinematic idea of people moving around the town, the vigil that you that you mentioned earlier. Mm, mm. That that was a very visual thing for me. Mm. And it kept it kept reminding me of a movie. Um and I know that the screenwriter there had said that they were inspired to write the movie because they walked around New York City and mm. kept seeing the seven deadly sins being played out in the people that he could see around him and that screenwriter was the person of the seven yeah and that's that's how I kept visualizing your book so is there is there a sort of because you've probably got a love of film in the same way that you've got a love of books if you're a director in theater so are there certain films that you think have inspired you uh, seven, seven is a fantastic example of it. Um, so yeah, yeah that, that one of the best, one of the best. And so I did definitely watch that a few times whilst I was putting this together. Um, it's, this has been compared to Saw quite a bit, but I've never seen the Saw. Yes, film. yes, yeah. Oh no, I can. How have you not? No, oh, no, never seen them. No, never seen them. So I go, oh great, and I still haven't watched them. And I don't know if I want to because I don't. I don't know if I'd watch the Saw films. And then realise I've stolen someone else's idea. Um, <laughs> so I'm too scared to watch them now. I have to boycott them, boycott them forever. But yeah, I, yeah, there, there's lots and lots of cinema. Seven is a great example. That's one that I watched over and over and over again, especially for the cat and mouse element of it and how. Yes. But w- yeah. when I read, I read quite cinematically. So I, so I kind of play the book out like it's a movie. Um, even from different camera angles and and stuff in my little head as, a, yeah. as kind of visualising it. So yeah, it all, yeah. It all kind of links in. But with the players, I spent, because um, I've set it in Peterborough, because that's where my thing happened. Um, I've been to all, everywhere that's in the book I've been to and walked right. around and seen the people and heard the noises. And so I spent lots of time kind of going, right, I know that uh, a section of the story is going to happen here. Um, I'm going to go here at about the same time as what it, what I think it's going to be in the book. And I'm just going to be in that moment and see what happens and see how it feels. And then from there, I would start to see characters doing things like the rowing lake one that was that was a really interesting moment that stood next to the rowing lake and and just watching that all kind of happen in my head but in that space 
it's great to hear you talking about it that way because in doing that you you literally pulled us into this world cool. and um it was a world that i i i thoroughly enjoyed being in oh, and, and the book I, I thought it was great and i hope that it really flies off the shelves because we're coming out of lockdown now people have got the chance to go to bookshops yes. and pick it up yeah um absolutely. and i and i wish it all the best and uh may it find many readers thank you Okay, well, it's been lovely to talk to you. Tell us exactly when The Players is out. So The Players is out in the UK on the 13th of May this year. Um, and it comes out in Canada on the 27th of April this year. So like next week. Next week. Next week for Canada, Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, well, all the best for launch day. Thank you. Um, we'll make sure we get this up in time, ready to celebrate that. And it's been great to talk to you. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thank you.